0: Welcome to the Up Podcast. My name is Brian Ward, the creator and host of the Up Podcast. I am a coach, Marine Corps veteran, speaker, husband, and you guessed it, a dad. Are you ready to be inspired to be the best dad you can be for your family? This show will provide you with the tips, tools, and strategies to do just that. Are you a dad just going through the motions? Or are you looking to really elevate your dad game to the next level? Truth is, it is a blessing to be a dad this is a responsibility we must take seriously in the end how do you want to be remembered i hope you want to be remembered as a phenomenal dad your legacy starts in the home not outside the home if you're really ready to elevate your dad game then make sure you bang that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode now let's get started data Welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I am pumped about my guest that I have on today. Uh, he's been a huge influence in my life, as a matter of fact, because uh, in my younger years I listened to his radio program. But uh, so I'm a big fan of his. But the incredible Mark Thompson from the Mark and Brian show has joined me on Dad Up. Welcome to the show, brother.
1: Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the chat.
0: Awesome. Um, okay, well, I want to dive right in because you've got a new book out. To Myanmar, and uh, I'm really excited about the book. I not only purchased the audio book, but I also purchased the copy oh. because <laughs> I, I want to make sure I get both. Because listen, and you you say it in the, in the audio version. There's a lot more info in the audio version. A lot more of you talking. There's a lot more, you know, um, segments and things like that that aren't in the book. So I wanted to make sure I got both. But what I love about your book is not only the message and the story behind you and the show and how you kind of got into broadcasting and all that kind of stuff, but also the fact that you're donating a hundred percent of the proceeds to the shelter. So can you talk about that? Because I think that's a huge, um, important piece that people should be aware of.
1: Absolutely. Um, First and foremost, uh, I think it begins with the fact that I was sitting, I was about halfway through writing the book, and I realized I should probably call my financial attorney and let him know we're going to have a few dollars coming in. What are we going to do with those? And um, I'm extremely fortunate in that I made um, a, a wonderful living for myself when I was doing broadcast. And I'm in a position where Um, I don't really need the paycheck and I've never been a guy that's going to go buy a yacht or a villa in France or whatever it is people do with their money. And it dawned on me that from the day I was born until this moment right now, I have had animals in my life, dogs, cats, sometimes separately, sometimes together at the same time. And Brian, I think, you know, in any pet lover that is listening to my voice, we all know the unconditional love that we get from those animals. Uh, In a broadcast career, I could be gone 10 hours and I would get home hurriedly and freshen up the water and put food in the bowl. And of course, what did that dog do? He ran over and sat on the couch and licked me and loved me and kissed me and talked to me and wagged his tail. And eventually he'd get around to it. I don't know a human being that's going to do that. And the fact of the matter is, is that as much love, unconditional love that that, that we get from our animals, there's still a massive problem taking place uh, during COVID. A lot of people, they couldn't afford their animals, so they just opened the door and let them go. And uh, the, the, the kill shelters are absolutely packed. And so Allison Eastwood, I was introduced by a mutual friend and As soon as I saw her video and I heard her story, I knew that she and I shared that she literally goes into the kill shelters and she says, I want all of them that are going to be put down tomorrow. And she takes them. She and her volunteers literally put them in their homes and they nurse them back to health, feed, water, place to sleep, a warm place to sleep and veterinary care. And Allison is trying to build a rescue center where dogs and cats can be taken, nursed back to health, and a place that people, we, the public, can go and adopt a puppy or a kitten. And so 100% of the money that I can raise by people buying this book will go to that effort.
0: I absolutely love that. I, I was telling, sharing that story with my wife and uh, she, you know, we're big animal lovers. We've always had a dog in our family. Um, we have a miniature Australian shepherd right now and he's just awesome. He's one of those guys that, like, I have two boys, so they're 24 and 21. And then I have my wife, right? When I come in from, from, from finishing the day and I come in the door, no one else is at the door, but he is, he is right there, (laughs) just ready for me to just love on him. And I just, I love it. So I've always been around dogs. I've always been around animals. um, So that's awesome. Uh, So from, for, for me as a fan of you in the show uh, and for the rest of the public, I'm sure I'm, I'm saying thank you for that. That's, that's very, very, very warm of you to do that.
1: And and Brian, I also firmly believe in, and because I myself have been a, been a benefactor of this, uh, when people like myself, people like you, when we make a gesture like this, uh, people see that, they notice that, and it urges them to maybe do something, because I'm a firm believer in the very smallest movement in the right direction has a ripple effect. And it travels out into the uh, into people that you wouldn't normally affect. And they see that and they feel that. And I think that these kinds of things, as small as they may be, they make the world a little bit better of a place. And right now, I feel like we need to improve in that area.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so I want to dive into, let's say... Uh, You know, if you're watching this, listen, this wherever you are and you don't know who Mark Thompson is. Shame on you. Number one. (laughs) Uh, I will I will say this. Um, I have uh, I'll be approaching my 50th birthday next week. And when I was a young boy, I say young boy, I was in my early, early 20s. uh, I was in the Marine Corps. I spent four years in the military. So I was in the Marines and my dad actually introduced me to your show. Uh, mm-hmm. and he was a, he was, a, he was a long time listener. Um, he, he told me that you guys kept him up in the morning because he got up very early in the morning to go to work and he would listen to you guys. Uh, but he introduced me to your show and I used to listen to your show on my way to the, what we call our shop on the base. And then in the shop, we would have the show on. Um, so I listened to you guys forever. So I was, I was really sad to see you guys go, but I know you guys had a long history but if a fan, or, or excuse me, not a fan, somebody that doesn't know who Mark Thompson is, let's go through a little bit of back history on you, kind of how you grew up, how you got into radio, and then obviously what you're doing now, and besides the book and about your family as well. I know you have three kids, so angry yeah. and grandkids. <laughs>
1: uh, uh, well, uh, before I start that, Brian, thank you for your service. Thank you. Um, there's not a there's not a moment that I don't sit in my backyard in North Carolina and enjoy a cigar and look at the lake and notice how beautiful the weather is. And if it weren't for the freedom that I was given, I didn't earn it. It was given to me. And I don't ever, ever take that for granted. The men, the women that fought for that. uh, Let me put it this way. Anytime a service person is in my presence in a restaurant, they eat for free. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for your service.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: I mean that from the heart. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I always had a sense of adventure. Uh, I, I always enjoyed doing something I've never done before. Uh, I wasn't supposed to go more than two neighborhoods away from my house, but I, I did uh, because there was adventure over there. And I'm going to go find that out. And as a kid uh, being raised in a wonderful little town, Uh, I I never had any issues with that. I thought it was beautiful. Didn't really realize how special it was until I left it. Um, But I was attracted to whatever it is that's out there beyond my hometown, out there, whatever that is. I'd not been very far, but I wondered what was out there. And the radio station and the movie theater attracted me because those two things supplied me with stuff that came from out there. Um, and I was attracted to that and I would ride my bike up to the radio station. Uh, there was a, an afternoon guy. His name was Christopher J. Ballou. He was a hellion. This dude, uh, all the jocks at, at, WOWL would party together on the weekend and Mondays were my favorite because he would tell the stories. Um, once he had gotten too drunk, mixed up a bunch of cement and poured it in his program director's trunk and he got suspended, but not before he told the story. So it was awesome. And, uh, and I very much was attracted to the personalities. The the, the records that WL, uh, WOWL played was just like all the other stations. They played the same music, same commercials. But it was the personalities, guys that were real, guys that would get on the air and talk about their life and tell funny stories. I was attracted to that. And um, I... I heard that Christopher J. Ballou, my favorite, my guy, my hero was going to broadcast from the shopping center near my house. So I rode my bike up. And this is back in the day when the jocks would bring the entire console, the two turntables, they would literally play the records from the location and he had the mic and the whole thing. And there he was without realizing it. My 10 year old body started walking toward him and he turned and he saw me and he smiled my hero. And then he looked at me and he said, Hey, Hey, don't bump the record, kid. Back away, back up. And it doesn't matter what he said. It was my hero. He spoke those words to me. The only words he spoke until, and I couldn't have known this, six years later, I would become a jock at WOWL and work alongside Christopher. Wow. And I never told him that story because what I got a chance to witness was a lesson that was given to me early. And this is a lesson that you know. Brian. Christopher didn't get on the air and was great because it came naturally. I watched him work his ass off every day, all day, preparing for his show, putting together stories, organizing the music, getting all this. He was a workaholic. And I realized then, if you want to be good, you have to work at it. You have to prepare. You have to put in the time. Because a lot don't. And he did. And that was a lesson I learned. And that was really how I got into radio. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that for whatever reason, I've always had the ability to know what I wanted. And I thought everybody did. And my wife told me, but they don't. You're lucky. You do know. And I've always known. Whatever it is, I knew that I wanted that. I want that to be a part of me. And radio was that. And I... I spent my entire career doing that.
0: Mm. Wow. So I'm guessing that that's how you came up with the title for the book. Obviously don't bump the record kid. It was a tribute to kind of this guy who, who really inspired you to get into radio and, and build that love within, within you to, uh, to carry your career. Um, That's awesome. That is just a great story. And I mean, obviously it was so impactful to you that you've, you know, here we are many, many, many years later, Uh, And the success that you've had, you still remember that and name the title of the book after that experience. So uh, that's awesome. Uh, Now, is he still alive? Is he still relevant? I mean,
1: you know, I don't know. Um, It's kind of interesting. I think the radio business is the same as any kind of business. There are many people involved in it and some make it big and some don't. Mm -hmm. Um, The only jock that I worked for. And I quite literally, when I left my hometown to try to climb the ladder of radio and make it to, to major market, I worked in a lot of cities. I worked at a lot of radio stations and out of all of the jocks that I worked with other than myself, only one made a true name for himself. His name is John boy Isley. He hosts the John boy and Billy show in Charlotte and they are widespread throughout the South, syndicated. They're big. They'll be in the Hall of Fame at one point. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to say that John Boy and I were friends and buddies. I learned a lot about John Boy. I learned a lot about what personalities are. John Boy was the first true original personality that I ever met that transcended what he was as a person onto the radio. And I watched how he did that. And uh, and I'm proud to say that I live in Charlotte now, and i I speak with John Boyce periodically, and we have a giggle about the days we spent together. So, so, yeah, there's some that make it, and some that don't. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say, because Christopher, I told you, I watched how hard he worked, yet he never re- like I never heard from him after he, or after I left, I, he didn't move up the ranks per se. Uh, there are very few of us that do, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's been an absolute wonderful adventure for me. One that I could never repay.
0: Yeah. Well, it has been an adventure and it's been a successful one. Not only are you guys, you and Brian, both on the, for the show or, or in the hall of fame, the radio mm-hmm. hall of fame, but you also have a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You have a star there as well. You guys have received numerous awards and accolades for the success that you have had. Now, you guys had a span of what, about 27 years, I want to say? Yeah. Uh, 27 years. Now, over that period of time, radio changes, radio changed. How 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 did you guys keep radio relevant for that long of a period?
1: Well, um, I think the best way to say it is that um, as I moved up the ranks of radio, it didn't take a genius to realize that if you were in radio as a business, uh, all you had to do was look in the parking lot. The the nice, super nice, expensive cars were over to the left and the crappy, shitty cars were over (laughs) to the right. And all the cars on the right were the jocks and the cars on the left were the sales guys. And that's where the money was. But as I began to move up through my business of radio, I started to realize it was the the, the popular jocks, the personalities that were pulling down massive amounts of money. And the single reason for that is because personality jocks at that time brought ratings. You know, I told you, All your radio stations, those you compete with, you both play the same music, the same promotions, the same commercials. It is the personality jocks that would make a station a winner or a loser. And the time that it was first given to me, I was already starting to find my way as a personality. And I was working 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. And the local morning show, CP and Walker would replace me. And these were two good old boys from the South. And they had the number one hmm. morning show in LA. And I was attracted to that, that scene. What happens? And what do you, how do you do that? What's going on? So I would stick around. And usually I would go get them uh, you know, uh, biscuits and, and, and buttermilk and uh, gravy and whatever the fat thing they could find. They were big boys. But I, I watched them and they were number one. And I watched them. Uh, And I listened and I remember thinking as much as I like these guys, I could do this a lot better than they are. And that was when the seed got into my head that I could do well in morning radio and morning radio. Many people don't know a well-run, well-organized, well-staffed morning program that is garnering ratings, makes more money in that morning time slot Than all of the other other day parts combined. Wow. So morning radio is big, big business. And I always thought it was always in my mind because I worked at my craft very hard, 10 hours a day, to get ready for those four hours. And I my thinking was: once I step away from broadcast. I'm going to find young talent that they have to have talent. They have to have it in, in them somewhere. I'm going to try to get them to be my client and I will hone their skills, teach them the things that I know to try to make them better and sharper at what they do. And then I'll take a percentage of their thing and and negotiate their deals. By the time my career was over, radio was over as I know it. Uh, Basically, what happened is there was a, a thing called the Telecommunications Act, February 8th, 1996. President Clinton signed it. And there are many things in this act that happened, but there were two that did the damage to uh, my beloved radio that, that I think maybe you've noticed or some of you listening have. Um, it, they, there was a rule made that any person or company could buy as many radio stations as they could afford. There was no limit. Buy them all get everything. But the one that did the damage that we're hearing is uh, any individual or company could go into any U.S. city and buy up to eight radio stations. Now, as I said, personality radio jocks like myself, we made more money because we brought in ratings more than our competition. And therefore, we could command massive salaries. When The rule was made that a company could go in and buy eight radio stations. They were going in some of them and buying not only one top 40, but they bought the competition as well. So they didn't need to win. They were going to get all the listeners in that city by default. So they no longer needed me. My phone stopped ringing. Uh, But luckily for me, Brian and I, we're getting out right at the time that new thing was starting to really take effect. And I'm not saying this has happened everywhere. There are still personalities, but I mean, you take a look at Ryan Seacrest. I talk about this in the book. Ryan is syndicated to over 200 radio stations in the US. He and his morning show are heard in 200 cities, which means that's 200 personality driven jobs that he takes and they don't get. So that was the beginning of the trend, where what I had built myself into was simply no longer required. And radio, in essence, for the most part, became corporate. Corporate found a cheaper way to produce your local radio station at a fraction of the cost. Because growing up, my local radio had five live jocks around the clock sitting in that room, playing you records and reading the weather and doing whatever they did. Corporate pre-records. You're listening to a voice that was recorded that morning or yesterday in 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 a city by a person who doesn't even live where you live. And they use that voice on many of the stations they own. So it just it kind of, it kind of killed radio in the way that I was introduced to it as a kid and the radio that I worked in most of my career.
0: Yeah. Uh, so essentially you worked yourself out of a job.
1: (laughs) I did. (laughs) I sure did.
0: (laughs) Oh, um, all right, cool. Well, let me ask you this. Um, one of the things i love about you mark is your infectious laugh your your laugh is is amazing um you and brian did so many skits shared so many stories but one thing you know kind of this holiday season one thing that i really appreciated about you in particular is you know the skits where you guys would do your your christmas show and somebody would read twas the night before christmas it could be an actor it could be you it could be anybody that but you guys would bring somebody in what was the uh give me one person that resonated with you that, that you remember that was just a a great, great speaker for that, for that uh, skit.
1: There is one. And we had, as, as Brian was just saying, we, we would have uh, an iconic legendary actor come to the Christmas show and they would share twas the night before Christmas. We had Charlton Heston, Bob Hope, Betty White, some of the Tony Curtis, some of the absolute biggest names, to come in and do it. But I was always a major major fan of the movie Shane. It had Jack Palance in it. And we had met Jack on the show. And because of my love for him, he was a bit of an odd bird, but I liked it. Not odd in a bad way, odd in a good way. And so we invited Jack to come and do Twas the Night Before Christmas. And Jack was a, um, a professional gentleman he showed up and he was dressed to the tens and and he came out and we would we would put a set on the stage it would be a nice cozy chair fireplace christmas tree the setting that you would think that grandpa would sit in when he was going to read the story to the kids and so jack came out standing ovation he finally sat down he had the big book and he opens and in that incredible voice of his and his, the way that he projects his voice. He started that story was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. And at that moment he stood up and he closed the book and he set it down on the chair that he was sitting in and he walked to the edge of the stage and he began to tell that story to the audience. And I'm and that actor thing that he I'm telling you, you could hear a pin drop because he smoked it. I'm standing there watching the bad guy from Shane tell the audience this incredible story. I'll never forget it. I'll never, I mean, Bob Holt was great. Charlton S was great, but nothing like Jack Palance just killed it.
0: Oh wow, that's a that's a great story. Uh, that that is awesome. Yeah, th- those are always great moments, great great memories. Um, I want to talk about your kids though. Yeah. <laughs> I want to shift gears now. We're going to talk about yeah. family because I know you have three kids. Obviously, your lovely queen Linda, uh, and you have your three kids. How many grandkids do you have now? Two, two.
1: We, Linda and I, were you know we wanted grandkids, but uh, uh, it took a while. And then when we finally got one, the first one was in August. The second one was in September. Our first two grandkids were a month apart. So we go from nothing to two, uh, which, which is great, which is why I'm spending so much time in Southern California. I want to be around these people as they grow up.
0: Right, right. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, I, you know, my two sons, I have I have 24-year-old and 21-year-old. My 21-year-old, uh, my son, um, Brett... Uh, and my nephew, uh, Alex, they are six weeks apart uh, and they're like best friends. Uh, so it's really cool. They've grown up together and uh, still hang out practically uh, daily. Uh, so it's cool. Um, well, I know for a fact, just from you know, hearing your stories on air and all that stuff, uh, that family is important to you. Family is a huge part of your life. Uh, but when you're trying to build a career, especially a career in radio, I mean, you alluded to it, where it takes a lot of time, prep work that you have to do. How did you balance the importance of being around your kids and your family with trying to build this career? How did you how did you balance that?
1: Um, I was talking about this just last night with somebody. I forget who they were. I might not even have known them. Maybe they just showed up at the front door and I started talking to them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, With what I did, I worked extremely hard. It took a lot of hours for me. Uh, My kids went through 27 years of waking up and daddy wasn't there. Uh, When I got home from work, they were in school. I didn't see them until dinner. And the way that I did it, uh, because with what I did being a radio personality, we not only worked five days a week, but then on Saturdays, we usually would make an appearance and that would mean something like Orange County or, or or Lancaster, whatever it was. So I was, I was gone six days a week. My rule was, and it was a rule for myself. When I was there, it was on. Mm-hmm. I would wake them up at the crack of dawn, make breakfast, hang out, go to the movie, grab lunch. We would cook out at night. I was in their face because for me, it wasn't quantity, it was quality. And not one of my kids has ever uttered, God, you were never around. They just didn't notice it because when I was, I was really, really around. And I grew up with a father that was a real strong disciplinarian. And the one thing that I did take from him is that he showed me uh, the value of hard work He showed me what it was, what it meant, what it was about, and why it was important. But what he didn't allow me, uh, at least in his mind, was the option to choose what I wanted to do. Uh, He wanted me to, my father was a very successful bank president, and he wanted the same thing for me. He wanted a college degree. He wanted me to wear a suit, sit behind a desk. And I knew early, early on, that wasn't my bag. And I, I withdrew from him because of that. And we never saw eye to eye. When I had kids, I was adamant that they be given the opportunity to do whatever it was that they loved. And I exposed all of my children to all different kinds of activities, karate, dance classes, baseball, basketball, whatever it was. And then we would chat. And if they weren't loving it, we don't do that anymore. We're going to find something else. We never quit, by the way. Mm-hmm. Once they start a season, we finish the season. There's a lesson in that. But I, I adamantly told them all as often as I could. I said, there are two things that will guarantee you success in life. Number one, choose something to do for a living that you absolutely adore, that you love it. And two, work your ass off. And if you choose correctly on number one, you won't work Mm -hmm. because there's nothing I would have rather done than what I did talk on the radio. I could be sitting out even to this day. I could be sitting out with a cigar on uh, uh, my backyard and an idea will come to me and something for the show. I'll jump up and go in the studio and spend three, four hours putting it together, getting it ready for air And I'll look up and I can't even believe four hours have gone by because I love doing it. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you force a child to do something that you want them to do, that's just not going to work. That's Mm -hmm. never going to work. They don't love it. You do Mm -hmm. give your children the freedom to pick what they love and go for that. And I was pretty adamant, not pretty. I was adamant about
0: that. Yeah. No, you know, um, just kind of uh, talking about what you just spoke there. Um, if you find, I've told my boys this, if you find something that you want to do that you absolutely love, you'll never work a day in your life. It's true. Uh, and, and for you, that's that was obviously the case. Now, I was very similar to you in that whatever time I spent with my boys, uh, I was 100% in. And um, when I grew up, my dad, my parents... You know, they were they were blue collar workers. Uh, they were hardly around and not they did the best they could, not because they didn't want to be around. They just had to work. But I knew at a young, very young age that when I had a family, I was going to be committed to, to my kids. And um, I coached my boys from the age of four all the way up through high school, all the sports that they played. And I, too, had the same rule, Mark. We tried everything, but we would not. the rule was you can do whatever you want, but we're not quitting. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. Not a funny story, but a true story about that. My older son, he was about 10. He was playing basketball and baseball. And we got in the car one day after practice and he said, dad, I want to talk to you. I need need to tell you something. And I said, yeah, what's going on, bud? He said, I don't want you to be mad at me. And I said, okay, now keep in mind, we were a hundred percent full baseball family. Like we loved, lived, breathed it. Baseball was our thing. He said, um, I don't want to play baseball anymore. And I go, Oh, I go did something happen or what's wrong. And he's like, no, I I just, I don't like it. I I don't like to play baseball. And I said, okay, um, that's fine. And he goes, you're okay with that. And I said, yeah, I'm good with that. You have to do something. You know, I'm not going to let you sit around the house. You got to do something. He said, well, no, no, no. I just want to focus on basketball. I don't want to play baseball. And I said, perfect. I said, but the rule is we got to finish the season because we were halfway through the season. He goes, no, 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 I get it. I know I have to finish the season. I get it. And I, and I said, cool. And he's like, you're not mad. I'm like, no, if you don't want to play baseball, I don't want to force you to play baseball. I want you to do what you want to do. And he did. That was his last season playing baseball. And he thrived at basketball. Um, he just thrived. I mean, he became a captain and a starter on his high school basketball team. I mean, he was just a really good basketball player.
1: You see, Brian, that story is exactly where I stand. That's exactly where I stand. We don't quit but this is not your thing. We're going to move on to something that is whatever that is. That's exactly where I stand in that. Good for you. Good on you, as yeah, they say.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, that's cool. I, I appreciate that about you. The fact that you, um, when you were there, obviously career, your career was important because it's what provided the roof over your head and the, and the food on the table, right. Uh, to make, to make the best for your family. Um, but when you're hundred percent in, you're hundred percent in the dads that I coach, I tell them, listen, When you're around your kids, you need to be around your kids, not halfway around, meaning you can't be checking your phone. You can't be worrying about this, that you have to be focused on your kids.
1: Look, I can tell you this story and this has happened, I'm sure you've seen it. This has happened on more than one occasion for me. We'll be at the mall walking around and I'll see a dad and his daughter sitting on a bench and the daughter is sitting there chatting away at dad. She's looking right at him. She's chatting away and dad is on his phone, typing, looking, not listening. And I just I I think to myself, dude, the day's going to come, I think, when you're going to look back and wish you had sat there and listened to her. Mm And she's probably saying something you should hear. Right. Um, Look, I'm pretty adamant. I'll be upfront, you know, and and anybody can judge me. I don't care. Um, If I meet somebody or I hear of a guy who has birthed some children and he and the wife divorced, those things happen. I get that. But that the father doesn't have anything to do with the children. He's dead to me absolute. Look, you are a person who brought up a life into the world. If you're a man that's worth anything, you have an obligation to support that child financially, clothes, food, roof, and teach them. That's your job. I don't care what your story is. I'm not listening. You are dead to me. That is your responsibility. You are a father you are a parent be one it it, it senses me when i because these kids they you know and now they've got mom and that and mom is busting her ass she you know she works all the time because she's not getting any money from the loser i just i boy I don't, I don't but i i look there is a responsibility with that penis that you've got hanging off of you use it carefully because because this is bigger and beyond you. So if you do bring a life into the world, take responsibility for it. Love it. Teach it. Raise it. Make a human being. That is your job. I don't care what you like or why you're not doing it.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I understand. I, I'll tell you a couple of stories about uh, my experiences. You know, when I, as a basketball coach, I've, like I said, I coached all kinds of sports, but in high school, I coached basketball. as a varsity basketball coach. And there were so many times that I had players on my teams and parents of those players that I had never met. Now, for whatever reason, I don't know the stories, but I know as a parent myself and as a Former child, I know that when you're playing sports, the kids that are on those fields or on those basketball courts, whatever it is they're playing, when they look up in the stands, they don't care about anybody else but their family. And if you're not there, the impact that has on them. And I had a story, I had a, a player of mine who graduated high school, and he um, didn't have a dad in his life. His dad was gone didn't know where he was. Uh, and the mom worked like three jobs. She, she, I I hardly saw her when we coached. Um, and after he had graduated, um, this is shortly before the pandemic, he had reached out to me and he said, Hey coach, uh, I was, I was wondering if you'd be willing to meet with me. I'm kind of struggling on the direction of my life. Mm. And I said, sure, let's, let's grab a meal. So we did, we sat over lunch and I said, listen, when we do this, I'm going to have you, I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know what direction you want, where you want to go. And we're going to write a game plan. And we sat there, Mark, for two hours and I had him write goals down. I had him write what his, what he wishes he or what he wants to do in life. I had, I gave him some books to read. And I also told him now the important part is I'm going to hold you accountable to this. So Mm. I'm going to be checking in with you and asking you, how are you doing on these steps on these things? So good. He wanted to be a college football player. That's what he wanted to do. He wasn't even in college. And I I, I attribute it to, to my meeting with him. But after that, he got his life on track and started playing college football. And it was just the, the lesson that I want to put in his head that, Hey, if you have the right role models and the right guidance in your life, you can achieve anything that you want to, that you work at. And I had another story of a kid whose dad, uh, and whose parents divorced his dad's still around, but isn't really a big impact in his life. Um, and he needed some guidance. He, he was looking to buy his first car. Uh, he asked me if I could go help him look at some cars. Cause I know the car industry. Uh, and, and just so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in banking myself. So I've been in banking mm. for 25 years. Um, mm. but, uh, I took him around for a whole day. We went to different car dealerships and talked to different dealers about different cars. And I helped him purchase his first car, took him to get his driver's license. I took him on driving tests to help him drive. And later in life, we got, my wife and I got invited to his wedding to watch him get married. Um, Those, those kind of, those kind of players. um, What I love about coaching is the impact that we have as coaches on players that don't have that kind of um, role model or guidance in their own lives. So
1: that, that's so huge that you took the time to do that because that kid was looking for a parent. He was looking for someone to give him guy. He asked for guidance and you gave it. So first of all, good on you. Um, as I said, my father, he and I didn't necessarily see eye to eye, but he was proficient at sharing certain life lessons with me. As I said, he was a big businessman, highly successful. He walked by my uh, little work homework desk one day, and I was not a good student. I didn't like school. I hated school. I just didn't understand Like I'm taking a test and the question is, what year did Ponce de Leon land in Florida? I knew at that moment, by the way, it was 1763, but I knew in that moment that I would never, wherever it was I was going, I would never need to know that. So school was just not my favorite. So my dad is walking by and he sees my homework and it is an absolute mess. I was just doing enough that I would turn it in and you know I wouldn't get a zero. And my father looked at it. He must've realized this was crap. And all he did was he pointed to the top right corner and he said, you hadn't signed your name yet. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm go, I do that last. And he said, well, it's important. Uh, because when you sign your name, you're telling whoever it is that's going to see that, that this is your very best work. And he walked on. Now I don't have to tell you that I didn't change a thing on that, that piece of paper. I turned it in, got a 30, but <laughs> I never forgot the power of that lesson. When you put your name on it, whatever it is, you are saying to whoever's going to read it, see it, feel it, become a part of it, that this is who you are. And I, that was a lesson I ignored in the moment, but have embraced fully since that time. You have to be proud of what it is that you're doing whatever it is, do it a hundred percent. And if you can't, then don't do it. Your name goes on that and it represents who you are as a person and an individual. So you be careful there.
0: Yeah. Um, when it comes to you and Linda raising your kids, uh, Were you guys in alignment as far as parenting goes on how your kids should be parented? Were there things that you guys had, you know, differences of opinions in on how they should be raised?
1: Yeah. Um, First of all, it was never a problem uh, with us, Um, you you know, uh, from lack of a better way to put it. She did the mom stuff. I did the dad stuff. Every now and then something would come up with like we'd be at dinner and one of them would ask a question and Linda would rule on it. And I deemed it pretty important what she had said to them. And I disagreed. And so privately, and this is key, privately shut the door. And I, I said, hey, I'm opinionated about that situation. And you just made the decision without me being able to weigh in. Let's be careful there. And and that was accepted. Um Yeah, we were very much in unison when it came. Like there was discussion when she was pregnant with our first, with Matthew, and she wanted to do the Mark Jr. thing. And I said, look, not judging the Jr. thing, but I don't want to put that on him. He's an individual. He is one person, and I don't want him to be shadowed, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, I want him to be who he is as an individual and not carry around that baggage. Now, I don't know if it's baggage. I've never spoken to a junior that had an issue with it. I know several, but I've never brought it up. I just didn't, it didn't feel right to me. I wanted all of my kids to be who they were because I got to tell you, and you know this, I have three children. All three of them are 180s from each other in every direction you can go. They're never the same. Matthew, as a kid, was the biggest pig at at cleaning up his room. Amy's room was immaculate. You could eat off the floor. Katie didn't and still doesn't know where her room is. So it's just... You, you know it, it, it's they're individuals and they are what they are and and for as a parent you try to give them room to expand and be whatever that thing is. And I tell anybody who will listen, kids and it doesn't matter if they're one or 30. they are looking for guidance. they're looking for parameters. they're looking like when they're young I can't go up those stairs okay, got it. I can't do that. I can't go through that door into the backyard. Got it. You give them their parameters and let them explore that space. And then when they're a little older, those parameters expand. That was kind of the way that that I did it. Um, My wife and I would make a safe area. This is when they were really young. We would bolt all of the drawers and things places they shouldn't be And we had a safe area where we could all sit. And we knew without us even watching, they can't go into anything that'll get them in trouble or that'll harm them. And it kind of brought a relaxed setting for us. And so, yeah, I think kids are looking for guidance on their parameters for almost their entire life.
0: No, that's for sure. I mean, mean, obviously my boys are in their 20s and I still, they'll still come to me and ask me for guidance. Now they don't have to take it. They're grown adults. They're mature young men. They don't have to take my advice, but I still give them advice when they ask. I don't offer input unless they ask. And and Brian,
1: I can tell you that uh, like, when it comes to decisions, uh, and my father always said, decisions are making easy. Uh, Making decisions is easy. It's living with them. That's Mm -hmm. the hard part. And when I was making the decision to leave the Mark and Brian program, I spoke to many people, uh, cherished friends, obviously Linda, but the one person who I cherish his opinion more than anyone is Matthew, my son. Mm. He is grounded and solid. He listens to what you're asking. He weighs it. And then he speaks. And I value that. And I also am proud of the fact that that's the case, that I want to talk to him, because that simply tells me Linda and I did something right in there to bring that kind of person up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, Yeah, my wife and I were the same. You talked uh, in the very beginning there, you're you're sharing, um, you spoke about the fact that when you were opinionated about something, you guys went and spoke about it in private. That is crucial. And I tell parents that all the time. Listen, when things come up and you have a a disagreement, the last thing you should be doing is discussing that disagreement in front of the kids, because now they see, okay, mom and dad are different people. They are on different pages and I can play both of them and your kids will play both of you. So everybody hear
1: what Brian just said. Let me tell you something. I know that kids are a gift from God, but they will use that and they will manipulate you at the drop of a hat. I know they a gift from God. And they're just darlings, little cuties that are manipulating you and using the fact that you just had that little disagreement. They're going to play you against each other. And all of a sudden they're in their room laughing because they got their way and you and your wife or your spouse are arguing in the other room. Don't allow it. It's key. Do those things between the parents. Do it privately, quietly to where nobody but you two can hear it. That way the kids don't know and they can't use it against you.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, They're demons. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I want to ask you one last question, then I'm going to let you go. Um, Thinking back to to your radio career, were there any experiences or influences that may have impacted your fatherhood or your parenting? Can you think of any?
1: Obviously, my relationship with my father. Okay. Both what it was and what it wasn't and we all do this every one of us when we are raised by a parent where there were good parts of that parent and bad parts of that parent I think we all try to use the good parts as we raise our children and not do the bad parts and it was quite literally from that moment when I realized my father wanted me to be just like him uh, college education suit sit behind a desk. And I didn't want that. Um, and he insisted on it and my my denial of his desire uh, w- drove us apart to where we never saw eye to eye. He was a very controlling personality. And I made sure that my kids understood clearly that they have a choice to do whatever it is that they choose. But I also took from my father, and then I'll get to my mother, uh, the work ethic thing. He was a hard worker. He worked harder than anybody I saw. And I not only was forced to do that, I learned a great deal from that, not only by doing it, but seeing it. And I passed that on to my kids. Everybody had chores. Everybody did them. They did them correctly, and they did them on time. Uh, you build a ground war, a ground level uh, position of work ethic and it works. It does. They, they're, they they do not like it. They don't want to go out in the rain and take out the trash and they'll come down. It's raining. I get the, the trash. Look trash man's going to be here in the morning at 6. AM go out there, put on a raincoat and take the trash cans to the street. I don't want to hear it. And off they go. My mother was a loving, kind, nurturing. She came to every little league baseball game I ever played. My father never came to one. I taught my I am very affectionate with my kids and my grandkids. I'm all over them. And I don't care if they don't want that. You're going to get hugs and kisses. Shut up about it. It's who I am. It's what I do. So I think that to answer your question, I took both the good and the bad from both of my parents. I kept the good and tried to pass that on in a way that it affected me. I knew what it did for me. I knew how it felt. And I deemed it to be a good thing. And I would never pass anything on to my kids that would hurt them or harm them in any way. So. I, and I do think we all do that. Mm-hmm. and 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 that's good. And I also shout the praises of a spouse, because Brian, you may have experienced this. I know I have. When you have a spouse that adores you, loves you, respects you, this is a good thing when you are raising children and you may do something in a moment that to you felt okay, But your spouse pulls you aside and go, you know, hey, I think that went a little too far. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe you want to rethink that. And I I dearly respected that position of hers. And I always listened to that. And in some cases, I would wind up going back. I want you to hear this, you potential parents, because this is key. I went back and I apologized to my child. And it was something short and simple look, I kind of lost myself in that moment. I deeply apologize because I was wrong. And I want you to know that. And I'm sorry if I hurt you or or offended you. I'll watch that. Do you know how much that means for your kid Mm -hmm. to hear that? Not only does it mean something in that moment, you've just taught that kid that it's human to do something wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's even bigger human to admit it and say it. Mm -hmm. So, there were lessons flying everywhere. I just always tried to do the right thing in the moment that I was in. And sometimes you go too far. Uh, sometimes you don't do enough, whatever the case is. Look, I said this to my kids because now my son, Matthew and Amy both have children. Uh, they're my grandkids. And I just told them. I said, look, rule of thumb is this. You can read all the books on parenting you want. That's fine. That's great. I'm sure there's good lessons in there, but let me tell you something. All you have to do is love that child unconditionally. Just love them. And if you genuinely do, you will always make the right decision. Mm. Period. Sometimes it's wrong, but you did it out of love and you'll learn and you'll figure it out. Just love them. Make Mm -hmm. sure they're the most important thing in your world and love them and you'll do great.
0: Yeah. Uh, I love that. Uh, You're absolutely right. I think that, uh, you know, it's been said uh, when you have a child, well, let's, let's back up. When you're in school, you get the lesson, then the test. When you have a child, it's the test and then the lesson, right? (laughs) And I think that we get those lessons through not only the influences around us, but our own experiences from our own parents or friends that we had with parents, but it's those lessons that we learn that try to carry us into being a parent ourselves. We take the good and we separate the bad. And that was how I, that's how I raised my boys and my wife and I were like that. We were on the same page with that kind of stuff. That's how we raised our boys. Um, But yes, unconditional love, as long as you show them love and you're there to support them. And regardless if you've made mistakes or they've made mistakes, I've always told my boys, Mark, I don't care what you've done or didn't do. I'm maybe disappointed, but I will never stop loving you. And I'm always, I always compared it to like a sports team. I always say, I, I was always going to be, I'm always going to be on your team.
1: This is That's key. Fact. That's the fact. This is key. Your kids are going to get into a position where they don't know what to do and they don't know where to go and they feel isolated. They feel alone. They feel like they're the only person this is happening to. And if they are aware, they have a safe place to go and say whatever it is they need to say. What Brian just said is absolutely perfect key for this. If they know that you love them and you might be disappointed, but I can help you with this. You can always tell me whatever's going on with you. That's huge. You can't replace that. You cannot. That is massive. And let them know that. Say it loud, say it proud. Let them be aware they have a safe place to go. And if you've parented well, they're hopefully going to be few and far between these kinds of things. Cause if you parented well, they're not going to make massive decisions based that are wrong. But w- sometimes those we all know mm-hmm. those come up. Them knowing they've got a safe place to go is massive, absolute massive point,
0: Brian. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, listen, Mark, it has been a pleasure, an honor. Um, I just loved everything that you shared. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate the, the father that you are, the husband that you are. By the way, I love your TikTok skits where you're in CVS. <laughs> I know it, I know it drives Linda crazy. It's your CVS, if you haven't seen his TikTok, he goes into CVS and just makes fun of products.
1: It's just funny. Yeah, the thing <laughs> of it is, is when I'm doing those, you'll notice I'm looking around CVS. I'm basically looking to see if Linda knows I'm because she'll stop me. And, and I can't have that. So I have to sneak around and, and, and do the thing. But uh, you know, I'll tell you, Brian, I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you. You you're you're 50. And I'm 67. Here's what I know. And I know that you're a former Marine and all that. But I was sitting here watching you talk on this podcast. And I'm sitting here realizing if I chose to, I could just beat the hell out of that fellow right there, Uh, Marine or not, younger than me, doesn't matter. I'm 67, old man, pure man. And I have dealt with the fact that I am Brad Pitt, good-looking, my entire life. I don't take any crap. I saw a couple of shots from Brian, the way he was looking at me, and I'm thinking, yeah, I can take him. So don't be surprised, Brian. I knock on the door. I'm going to come in there be a whirlwind, kick your ass up around the room.
0: <laughs> well, I have no clue where that came from, people. But <laughs> we're talking about CVS to all of a sudden kicking my ass. I have no clue where that came from. But I'll take it. You want to show up at my door anytime, brother? I'll, I'll match it. Let's go. <laughs>
1: Can you imagine how ugly that would be? (laughs) Uh, I just, hey, listen, uh,
0: honestly, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, honor having you on. Uh, If my listeners wanted to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, maybe pick up the book, best places for them to do that.
1: Uh, There's a good one stop shop. uh, The book is about my radio career, but it really turned into a memoir, and I didn't mean for it to, uh, but it's the people that are reading it are really enjoying it. If you're a fan of radio, if you're a fan of Mark and Brian, but if you're looking for somebody who tells you the darker parts of their life and how I dealt with that, it's a good read, and people are liking it. We are are sold out of the hardcover. We're discussing making more, but I don't think we can get the paper. But so we have soft cover, we have ebook, and we have the audiobook, which I narrate. We scored it with music and we drop actual clips of the Mark and Brian program into the audiobook. It's a one-stop shop. You go to this website, myadventureswithmarkandbrian.com. Make your purchase of the proceeds, once we've paid all the bills, 100% of the proceeds are going to feed, keep warm, and bring veterinary care to puppies and kittens in Southern California.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Listen, guys, Mark, I feel like I can call you a friend now. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate all the stuff that you shared on my show. You're a remarkable man, and I wish you all the best. I know your book's a success already, but I hope it continues to go off as a success because uh, what you've done here is phenomenal. And the way that you're giving back to others as far as the animal shelter goes is just awesome. So thank you very much for being on. I really do appreciate it.
1: Brian, you're a good man. Reach out to me for whatever you need. I'll try to help you.
0: Awesome. Thank you, brother. So listen, guys, here's the book. Don't bump the record kid. You can see it behind Mark there. Uh, Like I said, I picked up the book myself. I also picked up the audio because I wanted to hear all the additional stuff in, in the audio portion. It's awesome. It's a great book. It gives you a really good, uh, thorough background about Mark and how he got got into radio and the stories behind he and Brian. Just a great, great book. So I highly recommend you go to the my adventures of Mark with Mark and Brian.com. Pick up the book. Trust me, you'll love it. And obviously the money that you spend to buy that book goes to a phenomenal animal shelter. So, and we'll make sure we'll put all that in the tag notes. But listen, guys, thank you again to my good friend, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Dad Up. Again, if you haven't subscribed to my show yet, please make sure you subscribe to it so you don't miss any of the awesome guests that I have come out each and every week like Mark. Um, but again, thank you guys very much for joining me on another episode of Dad Up, and I look forward to seeing you on the next one.
1: And just know this, Brian. Whenever you hear a knock at the door, you're going to wonder, is it Mark coming here to kick my ass? I better be careful when I answer that door. I'm watching you. Uh, see what
0: I mean, I'm folks?
1: You. No, I see, see what you. I mean? See, I, I know exactly what's going on. I'm coming in. Double knuckle sandwiches coming in for the ass kicking. Right there it is.
0: There you go. That's what you get <laughs> with Mark Thompson. The, the, the Thank you guys oh. very much for joining me on another episode <laughs> of Dad Up. Wow. Another amazing episode in the books. So much was shared and I'm truly grateful my guest was able to pour into you to help you elevate your dad game and really dad up. Make sure you bang that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're here, please don't forget to leave me a rating and a review. I always appreciate the feedback. Also, did you know you can watch the video interview of this episode? You can by simply going to my YouTube channel at dad Up Podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe to my channel. And one last thing, don't forget, your role as a dad is one of the most important roles you have. So if you need a little help or have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me on my website at daduptribe.com or at my Instagram page at daduppodcast. Until next time, everyone, Dadup